the exercise and the diet go hand in hand. One of the things that um, exercise and especially endurance exercise does is it, it reduces oxidative stress which is a good thing. We want less oxidative stress, but if you break down uric acid, you're starting to lose your ability to reduce oxidative stress. Like this is one of the enzymes that exercise upregulates, and then you're undoing it by eating dairy. Hey, welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. I am your host, Jackie Tan, and I'm so grateful that you're joining me today. This show is all about human performance, whether that's getting your mindset right to perform at your best or getting out in the backyard and playing with the kids without those aches and pains. This show is for you. I chat with authors, experts, athletes, and coaches on all the best tips, tools, and strategies to help you perform at your best. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt, and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind, and discover your extraordinary potential. And today on the show, I chat with Dr. Heather Zwicky. Heather earned her PhD in immunology and microbiology from the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center with a focus on infectious disease. She then went on to complete a postdoctoral fellowship and teach medical school at Yale University. She's also established the School of Graduate Studies, developing master's programs in research, nutrition, and global health, among others. She currently co-leads an NIH-funded clinical research training program and teaches at many universities and speaks at conferences worldwide. And it's no wonder because she's incredible at her craft. She breaks down the complicated and complex information of the body and teaches it in a way that is easy to understand. And if there's anything that goes the most misunderstood, it's our bodies. So today we are talking all things microbiome. This was such an incredible conversation and so important for everybody to hear. Heather breaks down what the microbiome is, what impacts it negatively, nutritionally, environmentally, topically, so all the products that you use, how exercise impacts and so much more. And when I say so much more, there really is so much more. I loved chatting with Heather and was pretty much mind blown throughout this entire conversation. And I know you will be too. It's just so information rich and I know you're going to love this episode. So let's jump straight into it with Dr. Heather Zwicky. Heather, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, it's so good to have you. We're talking all things microbiome, and it's something that I'm only just starting to learn more about. Um, and it's so important, and we should all know more about the microbiome and how important it is to our health and our immunity and, you know, the impact it has on autoimmune conditions as well. So let's start with the most basic, actually, it's not the most basic question at all, but let's start, it's certainly where we need to start. What is the microbiome? It's a great question. We keep hearing it everywhere. And I don't know if a lot of people know exactly what it is, but the microbiome are all of the microorganisms, which means bacteria, virus, yeast, all of those sorts of things that live in us and on us. So right now, whether you feel it or not, your skin is covered in microorganisms. That is microbiome. And we would call that the skin microbiome. Your gut is filled with microorganisms. That would be the gut microbiome. And it turns out that almost every system in the body has its own microbiome. Wow. Okay. And so does each part of us in terms of the microbiome from our skin or um, in our hair or in our gut or in our mouth, do they all affect one another? They do. Yeah. So what's interesting is the microbes are constantly communicating with each other and they're communicating with you. 
They're what we call a symbiont, meaning there's symbiosis between you and your microbiome. So they have to know exactly what it is you're doing and your cells have to know what it is that they're doing so that they can interact with each other. I like to think of, have you ever seen those pictures of giraffes that have the birds sitting on their back? Yeah. And the microbiome is the little bird sitting on the back of the giraffe. <laughs> it's right there. And if the giraffe starts walking, the bird's got to know because it's got to move along with the giraffe. Right. So yeah. the microbiome is it's reacting to your environment and everything that you do. OK, so. It, OK, let's say our environment is not such a great one. And so the little birdies on the microbiome on the skin is being affected. Oh yeah. That then affects everything inside of us. Indeed it does. So we're now starting to see that air pollution, which of course is going to affect our skin when we walk outside and whether that air pollution is from fumes from cars or from wildfire smoke, when you experience air pollution and that pollution touches your skin, it's going to have an effect on the microbiome first your skin microbiome is going to send an alert to the rest of the microbes in your body to say, hey, there's something wrong here, right? So it may be that that pollution kills them. It may be that the pollution causes them to change which microbes are more dominant and, than others, but it absolutely has an effect both on your skin and the rest of your body. Wow, that's... It's almost a little scary to, to know <laughs> that how much of an impact something like air pollution has. Oh, it, it's it's intense when mm. you start thinking about the number of things that we're exposed to absolutely. just in our day-to-day -day life. Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting is the microbiome is the canary in the coal mine. Have you ever heard of that phrase? It's like they would used to put a canary, a little bird into the coal mine. And then if the canary died, they knew it wasn't safe for miners to be there. So think about it this way with your microbes. The average human cell is going to divide mm, once every 24 hours to seven days. The microbiome, those little microbes are dividing every 40 minutes to two hours. So they're far more responsive to the environment than your cells are. So when they start dying, they die first and they tell us, hey, there's something wrong. We need to fix this so that we don't kill the cells that are keeping us alive. Okay. So on that, if they need to fix this, how, how, do, how does that happen? Where, how do they regenerate if they're in an environment that's not great for them? Food. So the thing that feeds the microbiome is our diet. And this turns out to be one of the reasons why our diet is so important. We think of our diet as feeding our body and feeding our brains, but really our diet is feeding our microbiome first. And they, again, let's go back to that bird analogy. They chew up all of the food and then they feed that processed worm back to our body. Okay. So the microbiome chews up the food and what it makes, we call metabolites because it's metabolism that they're undergoing, right? And those metabolites then have an effect on every different organ in our body. So what you feed your microbiome ultimately determines what's going to be available for your body to use as its food. And of course, next question, what is the best food for a microbiome? <laughs> I don't think we probably need to argue about that one. Most <laughs> of us know what the best foods are. So there's been some really interesting research done on this lately. The American Gut Project, which is run by Rob Knight's group in San Diego, has done research on this. And they asked that question of like, should you be a vegetarian? Should you be a carnivore? Should you be a vegetarian, but also eat fish? What they discovered was really interesting. It didn't matter. Didn't matter if you were a vegetarian, didn't matter if you were a carnivore. What mattered was that you get 30 plant-based foods per week. 
Okay. Let me restate that because that's a lot. <laughs> 30 plant-based foods per week. So let's think about it. Plant-based food, vegetables, fruit, but also nuts, beans, spices, um, coffee, tea, all of those things are plant-based foods. So your goal is to diversify the vegetables and the fruit and the plant-based foods that you're eating such that you're getting 30 different plant-based foods per week. So instead of eating that gigantic salad, that's all spinach, throw in some strawberries and some almonds and some pine nuts and all of the things that are going to make it a more diverse set of foods as opposed to a single food. And I think where this is really hard is if you're single, because if you're single, buying 30 different plant-based foods per week can get expensive, right? So that's when I see people doing things like making smoothies and having frozen fruits and vegetables that they can throw into their smoothies or eating soup and throwing more basil and thyme and oregano into their soup. So there's all sorts of tricks to diversifying those plant-based foods that you get. But that's the big trick is 30 plant-based foods per week. Now there's been one follow-up study that shows an even healthier microbiome is generated if you add fermented foods. So here we're thinking about things like kombucha, sauerkraut, kimchi, all of those sorts of things. But this was, this was another interesting one. So if you just say fermented foods, which they did in this study, um, anybody who put that they were eating one or two fermented foods per week didn't actually see any diversity in their microbiome. It had to be three or more. And when they dove down into the data, it turned out that that was because if people were saying that they had one or two fermented foods per week, the one was beer and the two was wine. And so, no, yeah. <laughs> so it turns out wine and beer, not so good for diversifying your microbiome. But if you go beyond wine and beer and you add the kombucha and the kimchi and the yogurt and all of those things, it turns out it is really good for your microbiome. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> right. We needed to. <laughs> exactly. So when we say, okay, let's go to the um, fermented foods for a second. Sure. Can that be, so for example, sauerkraut twice a week, that's, that's yeah. all you need. So that doesn't that's need it. to be so different as opposed to the plants, plant-based. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. You don't have to diversify the plant, the the fermented foods as yeah. much as you need to diversify the plant-based foods because you get all of the diversity in the fermented it, food. Yeah. It's alive. <laughs> yeah. So then with the plant-based, what happens if someone is like, yeah, I'm getting all of those, well, a lot of different plant-based um, meals in, but then they're adding like a whole bunch of other stuff. Like you're, like your wines and your beer and your maybe a croissant for breakfast and you know there's there's plenty of dessert in there as well like at what where's the line I mean I don't that's know if that's been question. studied at all <laughs> but well think about it a croissant technically is a plant-based food right it's wheat and so there are those people who justify their diet going well oh, it's a plant-based food oh that <laughs> almond paste in my croissant mm. that's also a plant-based food <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so it turns out that sugar is not so good for our microbiome so and i don't think again it's probably not so much of a surprise to those of us who know anything about nutrition um but sometimes you can't avoid it. Maybe you're out, you know, with friends and they offer you a piece of birthday cake and it would be rude to not accept. And so you ate that birthday cake and all of a sudden you were exposed not only to the sugar, but maybe it wasn't made with organic flour. And so now you've been exposed to pesticide, right? So how do you start to make up for that? Currently, the best way we know of to do that is just eat more vegetables. Um, there's not a trick. Um, probiotics, do they fix it? No, 
um, postbiotics might fix it, but I think the research on postbiotics is still in its infancy. And do you know what I mean when I say postbiotics? Not at all. <laughs> okay. So prebiotics are the food that feed the live microbes. So anything that will, all those plants that we're talking about, they're all prebiotics because they feed live microbes. Probiotics are the live microbes. And then postbiotics are what those microbes produce when they eat food. So you eat a prebiotic, you feed it to a probiotic, and then postbiotics is essentially what they poop out the other end, right? And then that's what we, what our cells use to generate energy. So we take this, remember the baby bird? Mm -hmm. So mama bird is our microbiome. It's eating the worm, it's processing, and, and then it's spitting it back out for our cells to eat it. That spit out that's postbiotics. And we're starting to see postbiotics show up in the marketplace now. Um, you can find them in things like antiperspirants and, um, and in some food products. Yeah. Because what they are, remember, is they're these bacterial metabolites that are trying to bring your microbiome back into balance. Now you might say antiperspirant, why would we put a postbiotic in antiperspirant? Microbes right under your arm, right? Yeah. That's one of the things that we smell when you sweat. So, so we're starting to see, to get that health benefit on our skin, we're seeing postbiotics put into skin products. Right. Yeah. I, 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 where, where can I get that? <laughs> <laughs> so if we're so with the postbiotics if we're taking that mm -hmm. what if our microbiome isn't in a really great or healthy condition to begin with does that still yes. help in fact that's probably the best time to use a postbiotic. Oh. So think about it. If you're eating a prebiotic and you don't have all of the right microbes in your gut, you might be missing the microbe that's going to chop up the carrot mm. and feed it to the rest of the. But if you take a postbiotic, the carrot is pre-processed. You already ran it through the blender and you've got the pulp on the other side. So the postbiotic bypasses the dysbiotic gut or bypasses the dysbiotic skin. And in skin, you actually see a really rapid turnaround. Um, I've actually seen postbiotics work on atopic eczema and it doesn't take days, it takes hours. And you see the, I know, you see the atopic eczema clear up. It's pretty amazing. That is incredible. Yeah. Why, why haven't we heard more about postbiotics? because they're brand new. It's br okay. They hit the market about two years ago. And um, before that, they were in the scientific literature for since about 2017. So we're at six years. Usually it takes, you know, between 20 and 25 right. years. The public. <laughs> okay. So so you're hearing about it here first. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully it gets out quicker with, with you doing your work and, and podcasts <laughs> like this. Well, I think it will, because I think it's the next big wave that we're going to yeah. see. We've seen probiotics come and mm. I wouldn't say go, they're still pretty popular, but probiotics again, kind of need your gut to be intact. Whereas postbiotics say, we don't care what's going on in your gut. We're just going to pre-process all of that stuff and feed it to you. Yeah. Brilliant. So let's talk about the gut a little bit more and what's going in, on in there when we're getting bloated or feeling inflamed. Um, what is happening with the microbiome? What is happening is your microbiome. Well, it, it depends on each individual's microbiome, sure. but what's happening is you have fed your microbiome something it wasn't prepared to deal with. Um, so let's take our 30 plant-based foods per week as an example. Let's say that you were somebody who regularly ate 10 plant-based foods per week. And now you decide, oh, I'm going to take what Heather said to heart. I'm going to eat 30 plant-based foods per week next week. 
and you start stuffing yourself full of these foods that you haven't eaten before, your body, specifically your microbiome is not ready to process those foods. So essentially what you've just done is given it a whole bunch of sludge that it is trying to work its way through and it can't. And so it produces gas, it produces bloating. For some people, it's like eject, get rid of that right away, right? Um, for other people, it's like, well, let me hold on to this and see if I can process it longer and they develop constipation. But that quick transition from one food type to another is something your microbiome doesn't like very much. We see that when people travel too, right? They go to a country that they're not from and they get exposed to some microbes from that country and immediately they get diarrhea where their normal microbiota is saying, hey, you don't belong here, get rid of it. Whereas if you gradually stay in that country, you will adapt to that country's microbes. So we're very adaptable, but in the process of adapting, we might experience some symptoms. And if you're experiencing bloating, constipation, diarrhea, it's essentially, I call it the inner beast, the microbiome in your gut. You have offended your inner beast and you want to take care of that inner beast now. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, we said, you know, the bloating, these are, these are the symptoms that we sort of feel if, if the microbiome have been offended, but what if, um, I mean, how long does that sort of take once we, so you said, you know, the plant-based foods, we've just gone from one extreme to the other. And I totally work in extremes so I can relate to this. <laughs> like, <laughs> give me all of the, all of yeah. the vegetables. Um, how long then does it take for the body to either adapt to the new, all the new stimulus it's getting um, or how how little should we increase it? Yeah. So what I usually recommend is it kind of depends on where you're starting. If you're starting at 15, then you could probably add five new foods a week and be up to 30 within a month. If you're starting at less than 10, which happens a lot, this often is people who, you know, are starting with pizza and tomato sauce is one and the crust is number two, right? So if that's where you're starting, then you probably don't wanna do much more than add one new food per week for a while until you can get yourself to where you're at 15 and work your way up to 20. Your microbiome is very adaptable, but the kinder you are to it, the kinder it will be to you. So we see that, let's say that you change your diet. You decide today, I'm going to become a vegetarian and I'm giving up meat. What we'll see is a shift in your microbiome within two days. Two days later, your microbiome has shifted and it's like, nope, no more meat for me, vegetarian only. And then you decide I'm going to go back and I'm going to add meat again. And when people add their meat back, they're like, whoa, my body reacted. Like what just happened to me? Well, you shifted your microbiome and now you're in the process of shifting it back. So that process only takes two days. That's incredible. You had an aha moment. I, I saw I it really, happen. It, <laughs> I really <laughs> did. And what that was, was I, um, I have in the past eliminated something from my diet to see how I would respond. And, and that has been dairy. Yeah. And then when I added it back in, it was, it was awful <laughs> basically. Yeah. But what you're saying is even though that's happened, if we keep, if I, add dairy, it, oh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. That's now, so interesting. The dairy piece provides a whole nother slew of things, right? Ooh, let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a lot of my research is in Parkinson's disease, and we know that people with Parkinson's need to avoid dairy. And so a lot of research has been done on dairy as a result of that. So the first thing is we see that dairy is one of the most pesticide polluted foods that's out there. And that is worldwide. There have been studies from Africa, from Asia, Australia, America, like you name it. 
and we see pesticides in dairy. And the reason is that what dairy is, is a mama cow attempting to feed a baby cow, right? And so mama eats all of the grasses and whatever she finds in those grasses, she concentrates into her milk to feed the baby cow. So if she finds pesticide in those grasses, those pesticides get concentrated into the dairy and especially into the fat of the dairy. So ice cream and cheese are worse than straight up milk. I know, bad news, right? Such bad um, news. I know. The good news is that we have cashew ice cream now and we have coconut ice cream and those are delicious too. So there's that. There's a second issue with dairy and that is dairy breaks down uric acid. Uric acid is one of our natural antioxidants. In fact, it's one of the most powerful antioxidants we have and dairy breaks it down. So if you have gout, which is when your big toe swells, you want to break down uric acid. But if you don't have gout, uric acid is protective for inflammation and especially for neuroinflammation, for inflammation in your brain. So what we see is that the more dairy people eat, the less uric acid they have and the more inflammation that they develop. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So a That's lot incredible. of people go, oh, I'm avoiding dairy because I'm keto and I don't like the lactose. Lactose is a sugar. It's got O-S-E on the end, therefore sugar. I don't like the lactose. Mm, lactose, okay, whatever. I'm more concerned about the fact that you break down uric acid. Yeah, wow. And this would then really... I mean, I have a lot of athletes who listen to this podcast. This would really affect them then if they're going out for their morning runs every day or they hit the gym and they're doing, whether it's, you know, explosive work, that could be, yeah. really be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Because we know that one of the things that um, exercise and especially endurance exercise does is it, it reduces oxidative stress. Okay reduces oxidative stress, which is a good thing. We want less oxidative stress, but if you break down uric acid, you're starting to lose your ability to reduce oxidative stress. Like this is one of the enzymes that exercise upregulates, and then you're undoing it by eating dairy. Okay. So still on the dairy, how much dairy is too much dairy? So the research shows more than four ounces per day. Now, what is four ounces? Um, if you look at those little butter pats, four oh, yes. ounces would be like four little packs of butter. That's not very oh, much. That's not much at all. Yeah. You can do up to four ounces per day without having an effect on uric acid. Okay. That's good to know. Well, let's talk more about microbiome and exercise. What, what do athletes need to know? So... Athletes need to know that the healthier their microbiome is, the better their performance will be, of course, um, which is probably why we're talking today. Absolutely. The other thing to remember is that the exercise and the diet go hand in hand. So when you feed your face and then it goes to your microbiome and your microbiome digests it and it wants to now send all of those uh postbiotics, all of those messengers out to the rest of the tissue, exercise is what pushes them into the bloodstream. Very cool, right? So if you're eating good things, then exercise is pushing all those good things into the bloodstream and you become really healthy and your cells are happy and you perform at your best. If on the other hand, you're eating cereal, I'll use cereal as an example, which is a very high carb food and athletes often love it because it's high accessible carbs. But again, cereal tends to have high sugar content. It's processed wheat. It often has pesticides in it, including some of the oatmeals out there. Then you're pushing those things into your bloodstream. And that's not a good thing. So the more you exercise, 
the more important it is that you are paying attention to what you put in your mouth, because all of those things are getting pushed to all of your tissues. Does it matter when we're eating? Uh, like time of day? Yeah, or even like around our exercise. Like if we're, if we're eating something before we exercise, how far in advance should that be to get the, I get the, the benefits from what's happening? So the research that I've seen is from Marianne Lila's lab, and she's in um, North Carolina. And she's got some really interesting data where she shows uh, athletes drinking a polyphenolic beverage. So like a beverage that's made of acai and blackberries and blueberries, really dark blue color, beautiful, right? And it turns out your microbiome loves color. So the darker the color, the happier your microbes. So she feeds athletes this polyphenolic beverage. Polyphenolic just means dark colors. And then within the next two hours, they do a workout. They start out on a treadmill. And what you see is that those polyphenolics don't make it into the bloodstream. And everybody thought, oh, well, that means that they must not be bioavailable. Ah, no, because your microbes and your gut digest them. And then it's the byproducts from the microbes that make it into the bloodstream. So you start walking on a treadmill and immediately, immediately those polyphenolics. So five minutes later, they're in the bloodstream. You start to run, they go to higher levels in the bloodstream. You go all out until like you can't run any faster. They go as high as you go. But just to get them into the bloodstream, literally all you have to do is walk at a very slow pace. And that's happening almost immediately. We wouldn't even think that like this is happening within hours of you eating. We wouldn't even think that the polyphenols would hit your gut by then, but they do. And then their secondary metabolites are what's going into your bloodstream. The postbiotics. I think everyone is about to change their breakfast routine to blueberry smoothies from now on. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know the I data am. is so compelling. It's beautiful data. I, I Yeah. And it, it changes how we think about things, right? There's so many people who think, well, I have a great, I have a great diet, so I don't have to worry about the exercise. Guess what? You do have to worry about the exercise because you could have the best diet in the world. And if you're not moving your body, it's not reaching the rest mm, of your tissue. It's the vehicle. That's right. And likewise, you could be an amazing exerciser. And if you're feeding your microbes the wrong things, that's all the crap that's getting pushed into your tissues. You don't want that. I've worked with professional athletes, professional basketball players. And one of the things that they often love to do is go out for fried chicken after a game. Mm. And I'm like, no, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that to your body. Right. Um, it's just, it's the trans fat isn't good for you. The, the breading on the chicken isn't good for you. Like that is not what your body is craving. It's craving 30 plant-based foods per week. So exactly. And that's mm -hmm. a problem, isn't it? Because that's, that's a habit you get into. That's a habit that will stay with you even after you finish playing. Right. And that's when it becomes that's even right. more of a problem. Well, and what they say um, is, well, I got into this habit when I was playing ball in high school and college, we'd always go out after a game. And so that's my big thing is we go out after a game, change your habit. <laughs> you know, It's like, this is not the best thing for you. Way better for you would be if you want a high, heavy meal, high carb, heavy meal, have sweet potatoes and, you know, quinoa. And like, I can create really delicious things that aren't going to be the poor metabolites getting pushed into your muscles. Exactly. And I, I find it so almost aggravating when I hear, you know, young, young people, teenagers who are getting into training and, um, and they're just uh, specifically strength training who just want to build muscle, get strong, but then they'll go eat a burger from yeah. McDonald's afterwards because they can eat anything. All they need to concentrate on is bring like eating all of just getting the food in. And I'm just like, but it's the wrong food. 
Yeah. Just, just because you don't put on weight from it doesn't mean that it's what your body wants for fuel. Right. Exactly. So thinking about it that way, I think is important. I've also worked with those athletes who are trying to put on weight and they're like, well, I can eat all the burgers I want. I can eat two gallons of ice cream. Cause I don't, I, you know, I go through 5,000 calories a day. Yes, you can eat those things, but if you really want to put on the good weight, get your calories from nuts. Don't get it from, you know, some of these other high sugar foods. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk training and stress related exercise and not, not that I'm saying exercise is stress, but it can be if we're doing that high intensity style of training, or if, you know, there's ultra marathoners out there who, you know, will spend the weekend doing 12 to 20 hours of running. What does this, uh, what sort of effect does this have on our microbiome? So the, the research shows that it it's inflammatory to do ultra marathons, right? Th- these really long races, but from a microbiome perspective, you're actually adding diversity. So they've actually done, I know from a microbiome perspective, we, we wouldn't have predicted this, but the research is pretty clear at this point that as you increase um, your duration of endurance for endurance athletes, you increase the diversity of the microbiome, which is a good thing. So um, from a microbiome perspective, it's actually fine to go way over the top. Now I'm a PhD immunologist. As a PhD immunologist, I can tell you that whether you're biking or you're ultra marathon running or you're, um, they've also done it with rowers, um, that moderation is really where you hit your sweet spot for your immune system. But from a microbiome perspective, there is no moderation. You can go all out and have it be healthy. Why would that be? And and what I've read, I think is kind of interesting. If you think about it, we've all evolved, right? From our ancestors and our ancestors had periods of time where they were essentially ultra marathoning, where they were running after beasts and they were in battle and had to endure two days without food. And like those experiences are things that we have apparently evolved for um, because it's only been a short period of time, relatively speaking, that we have had such complete access to food. And so then if going on the flip side from that endurance style, coming back to maybe it's, it's not so long, but it is certainly very intense, like a CrossFit workout or that high intensity training, um, same sort of thing for the microbiome. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out strength training is also extremely good for your microbiome. Um, again, longer workouts are better. Now, again, and that goes against what we've been hearing about interval training and all of that sort of stuff. Interval training might be better for weight loss, but from a just keeping my microbiome healthy perspective, over an hour is actually good. Over an hour. Okay. Um, Tell us what, with that endurance athlete, they're obviously going to have to be mindful of their nutrition and their hydration. And a lot of the time you they're taking these sports drinks and gels and caffeine gels. Mm -hmm. What is this doing to our microbiome? What happens when we add that into the mix? So there is no research on it. Oh, okay. Nobody's looking. Now, why is nobody looking? My guess is somebody looked and nobody wants to know. (laughs) (laughs) Because, but you know, the other thing is, the companies that manufacture these products, they're not really looking at the microbiome. They're looking at the performance of their athlete. And as long as the athlete's performance is good, they're just going to assume everything else is checking out. So long-term, probably not the best thing in the world, especially because a lot of these uh, products do contain artificial ingredients. Um, and we know that the microbiome doesn't deal as well with artificial ingredients as it does with 
um, regular, normal ingredients. Real. Natural ingredients. ingredients. Yes. Like, what is the word? (laughs) Natural, natural (laughs) ingredients. Yes. So again, it has to, it has to do with, think about it. Like microbes are designed to eat food or eat plant material in the soil or like if you think about where microbes are and what they do usually if they're exposed to a chemical the chemical is more of an antibiotic and is going to kill them right so we see that we see that if you put preservatives in food those preservatives are designed to kill the microbes in the food but they also kill the microbes in your gut and the microbes on your skin and the microbes in your vagina. Like all of those things that, that we think like, Oh, uh, how did I get a UTI? I haven't done anything to give me a UTI. Haven't you like what's in your shampoo? Is it organic? Right? Like all of these things that we think about that are washing over our bodies every day. And we don't think about the fact that they're being absorbed and that the littlest among us, the microbes that are on our skin and all over our body are responding to them. Do you think one cancels out the other? So what I mean is if our diet is so good and we exercise, but yes, all that topical stuff and the pollution and yeah. Would that cancel out that stuff or, or is it the opposite? It doesn't matter how much good stuff we put in our body. If the stuff on top of us and what we're exposed to is not good for us, then that sort of deteriorates the rest. It's B it's unfortunate, but it's B. So we used to think that you could balance it all out with food, but a study came out less than a year ago now. So this is relatively new, but they showed that um, the, the biggest predictor of someone's microbiome was chemical exposure. And then the second thing is food. So your exposure to antibiotics, to non-antibiotic medications, to laundry detergent, to lotions, to shampoos, to all of those things that we're exposed to every day. And we wear against our skin, our clothes is hitting our skin all day long. We don't think about the fact that that is all having an effect on our microbiome. And it turns out that is the largest effect. We can try to fix it with food, but that has a much larger effect than food does. So if you can start to control the amount of chemicals that you're exposed to, that's going to make the biggest impact on your health. Okay. This just popped into my mind. Sunscreen. Yeah. Is, is this a, is this a good thing? I mean, obviously we need to protect ourselves, but Oh, yeah. you're shaking your head. <laughs> it's not that good. Unfortunately. Um, so sunscreen, usually the active ingredient in sunscreen is called titanium oxide. And that's what gives it that white color or there's zinc oxide, but those are the two active ingredients and they do kill microbes. Um, So yes, they block the sun from hitting your screen, from hitting your uh, skin, but they, they will kill off species of microbes. Now, the good news is that if you swim, usually your sunscreen is gone within minutes. So, um, it's having a temporary effect, but if there's sunscreen in your makeup or there's sunscreen in your lotion, it's having an effect on your microbiome. Mm-hmm. What about clear sunscreen? <laughs> <Is that the sense>? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, but one, of, I, I've got to declare a conflict of interest. One of the companies that I am on the scientific advisory board of is Burt's Bees, and they are working very hard to develop products that are healthy for your skin and for your skin microbiome. And they're testing all of their products. So you know how we, we just talked about how herbs are good for your gut microbiome, right? So a lot of the products that Burt's Bees makes, they'll put herbs in their lip balm 
because you eat 90% of what's going on your lips, right? So, so they're paying attention to that. They're trying to feed the microbiome with the herbs that they put in their lotions and their sunscreens, as opposed to kill the microbiome. So, and, and you'll see that Dove is starting to think about this now too. Neutrogena is starting to think about this, but there's this new wave of skincare that's coming in where people are finally going, hey, wait a second. We probably shouldn't be killing all those microbes on our skin yeah. because while it might make sense for a day, if we're thinking long-term about someone's health and we know that the skin microbiome is interacting with the mouth microbiome, the lung microbiome, all of these other systems in our body, we have to pay attention. Mm, absolutely. It also, you know, we, I don't know about you, but we just went through this pandemic and yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. that. <laughs> yeah. The lung microbiome, whether or not it's healthy is one of the things that is determining whether people had severe infection or not. So there's actually research that's coming out of China and Italy that's showing that both the gut microbiome and the lung microbiome are affected by whether or not you got an infection and that you may have dysbiosis for more than a year after your, your SARS-CoV-2 infection clears up. Yeah. So again, we're in this place right now where we all need to rejuvenate our microbiomes because we wore masks, which meant that we weren't breathing in microbes and letting new microbes inhabit our body, which is usually what happens every day. Wow. So this is such a, um, a typical thing that I'm hearing, especially with uh, some of the athletes that come through is that they've had it and it's taken them so long yeah. to feel like themselves again when they go for their run or when they're training. So you're saying it could take up to a year before they start to feel better? Are they eating 30 plant-based foods per week? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Probably not, right? So if they're not really on a diverse diet and they're getting exposed to lots of chemicals, yeah, it can take up to a year for the gut to repair itself. If on the other hand, they're consciously making decisions to expose themselves to lots of microbes and get their microbiome back intact, then it doesn't have to take a year. Mm. Okay. So I think about things like, and, and I've talked about this before, but you know, if you have a pet, pets are really good for helping people restore their microbiome, especially cats and dogs. And the reason is that pets self-groom, right? So they're licking themselves and then they lick their fur and then they lick their groin and then they lick their fur. And then we pet them and all of those microbes transfer onto our hands and then we rub our face and we, <laughs> right? So it's not necessarily something we like to think about on a regular basis. Like, you know, I'm going to go pet our dogs now and I'm going to go, Ooh. But, yeah. but our our temptation is to wash that off when in reality, the way that we have evolved is for us to take those microbes in and add them to our microbiome. And if you live with pets, your pet's microbiome becomes part of your microbiome. That is super interesting. What? So this might be completely different and not what you're talking about whatsoever, but um, so when when babies are born, mm -hmm. oh, I think this is what my sister was told because I don't have kids, but I think she was told, you know, obviously don't let the baby near the dog or the other way around because babies are, yeah. <laughs> babies are at that stage. <laughs> so is, is that, yeah, exactly. So that's, that's true that's for wrong. that. That's mm -hmm. wrong. <gasps> that's wrong. Yeah, wow. it turns out what they've shown is that babies that are exposed to pets, especially cats and dogs, are healthier, have less, less allergies, have less asthma than babies who are exposed to hand sanitizer and in too clean of an environment. And that's true as an adult, too. Um, the the more that you garden and you get dirty and you and you hug your pets and 
like you think of that as, Ooh, I'm, I'm not clean. Yeah. That's exactly what we originated as, right? We know that babies that are born C-section have a different microbiome than babies that are born vaginally, because if you're C-section, you're going to get those microbes from the skin. Whereas if you're born vaginally, you get normal gut microbes from your mom. Right. So how long then does it take for a baby that's born C-section to actually start to populate with normal gut microbes? It can take anywhere from one to three years. And some children will never populate correctly because it also has to do then with what you feed them. So after baby's born, we were designed to breastfeed. We get some microbes off the nipple and then the breast milk feeds those microbes. What happens if you formula feed? There's no microbes on that nipple, at least not after the women that I know get done with that nipple. They scrub the nipple, right? And then you're feeding a, a concoction mm. that has some sugar and milk in it, but it's not the same as breast milk. And so the way that it's metabolized by the microbes in the baby's gut is different than the way they metabolize breast milk. So it really depends, like that's your start. That's how your microbe gets, your microbiome gets set up for life and how you get set up for life kind of determines how the rest is going to go. Right. Can you make changes? Sure. Can you make major changes? Mm, there's debate about that. You know, you change your diet, you can shift, but can you completely change? And the answer is, you know, we don't know yet. Yeah, oh, actually, that was that was something I was going to ask. You said you don't know, but um, is there studies that show kids that have grown up via, well, delivery via C-section and then um, grown up, are they more susceptible to certain conditions? Yeah. So um, much more likely to develop autoimmune disease, much more likely to develop allergies and asthma, much more likely to develop ADHD. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I don't know if this is a weird question, but if they're delivered, no by, <laughs> delivered via C-section, um, could is it possible to take a swab of the vaginal canal and like, I don't know, put it on their belly, on their skin. Or I don't know. Is that something that you put it in their mouth? Oh, in the mouth. Yeah. You put it in the mouth. So those experiments are very successful, but it's still considered considered an experimental technique. So if you live on the West coast, people are more open to doing the swab of mom's vagina and then put it in the baby's mouth. And then the baby will repopulate normally. They'll look more like the microbiome of a vaginally born baby on the East coast of the United States. That's not a popular thing to do. It's considered a potential for infectious disease. Um, kind of an interesting ex thought experiment, right? If the baby had been born normally, it's not infectious disease, but if they're born through the skin, which is abnormal and then repopulated it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, they've been living um, inside that person. That's for right. Months. <laughs> exactly. Um, the researcher who works on this is fascinating. Her name is Maria Dominguez Bello and reading her stuff. It's it. She also goes back and does all of these experiments, looking at people who come from um, the rainforest in Peru. And do they have a more diverse microbiome than people who live in industrialized nations? Of course they do. Um, but she's the one who really pioneered this whole idea of um, the diversity of all of the things we're exposed to is impacting our microbiome. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so much. You know we were going to go there, did you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's let's come back to the athlete. Let's go to the female athlete okay. and how our hormones impact the microbiome or vice versa. Yeah, it's both. Okay. Um, the big hormone that is 
processed in the microbiome is estrogen. So if you're thinking about your gut and you think about the fact that you poop, you poop out estrogen as a woman. And when you're going through your cycle, your microbes um, are producing an enzyme that can actually cut off a piece of estrogen so that some of it goes into your body and some of it gets pooped out. So if you're not clearing estrogen, that can be a result of you being constipated or you having um, imbalance in your microbiome. Um, and you might experience that as extra heavy periods or if you're an endurance athlete, and a lot of women have experienced this, you might clear so much estrogen that you don't bleed at all, right? Um, so absolutely your microbiome has an effect on your hormones. Now, can you affect the microbiome's effect on your hormones? Again, your goal is probably still just to have the healthiest microbiome you can, and then that'll all correct itself. Yeah. So it really comes back down to that nutrition, get those 30 plant-based right. foods. Yay. <laughs> I can expect you to spread the news, 30 plant-based foods. That's it. And change all your topical treatments to natural stuff. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, it's funny. One of the things I learned one of the first years that I worked with Burt's Bees was, do you know where our largest pores are? Uh, so where we absorb pores. the most thing? I would either say um, either the face or the armpits. <gasps> the head. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if we think about that, if you think about the fact that your scalp and your hair follicles on your scalp are the largest pores and where you absorb the most stuff, having an organic shampoo, an organic conditioner, coloring your hair becomes a bit of a nightmare because that's where things are getting absorbed primarily, right? Um, but you're right, your armpits also have hair and so larger pores there, it's just there's more pores here mm, on, the, on okay. your scalp. Yeah. yeah. I feel like all the next questions are going to be like 30 plant-based foods. <laughs> 30 plant -based That's foods. probably true. <laughs> so the next question was um, recovery for athletes. And I guess let's take it. Um, we all know that sleep is, is probably the best for our physical recovery. That's right. Does microbiome have an impact on, on our rest? If it's, if there's, now you, you, you use the word or the term dysbiosis and I, I'm guessing that just means an imbalance or imbalance. Yeah. 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 Um, Apologies for using that word. I, I no, realized not at all. Yeah. <laughs> so anytime we say bio, we're talking about something small and living. And so dysbiosis is when your small living things are out of balance. Okay. Perfect. But yeah, um, absolutely. Your microbiome has an effect on your sleep. Where we see the most effect is people who are midnight snackers. So your microbiome is designed for you to stop eating right after dinner. So maybe that's at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. and then not eat for 12 hours. And that allows them to process what needs to be processed and then for them to rest. Mm. And if you midnight snack, they don't get a resting period. And that's not good because then they're going to tell you have a, a master clock in your brain. And then you have all of these little tiny clocks in all your cells. They tell the master clock in your brain, it must be daylight. This person's eating. Right. And so it wakes you up. So making sure you have that 12 hour fast minimum. We know with intermittent fasting that you could actually go 16 hours and that would be just fine, but a minimum of a 12 hour fast. So if you stop eating at 7 PM, then don't have breakfast before 7 AM. That's important for your microbiome to reset itself. Now your immune system is also resetting overnight. And the good news for athletes is that it's resetting inflammation. So usually 
if you're building muscle, you're getting small tears in your muscle, you get a little bit of an inflammatory response and then you build it back up. In order for you to shut down that inflammatory response, you need to sleep all night long. We think about melatonin putting us to sleep and then GABA is the neurotransmitter that keeps us asleep overnight. And a lot of people do fine with their melatonin or they'll take some melatonin supplement. Um, you know, five milligrams is probably plenty for anyone to take, but then they wake up between one and three o'clock in the morning. Right. Yeah. Heard of that. Yeah. Maybe even done that a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is, um, you are not making as much GABA and GABA is what sh shuts down the inflammatory response, resets you in the middle of the night. So how do you get GABA? Best way you to get my GABA. Mind. Yeah, of course <laughs> you can take GABA directly. I don't, I don't usually recommend that. Usually I recommend tea. So sleepy time tea or some sort of tea. Tea has a ingredient in it called L-theanine. L-theanine, like um, Theo, T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E. -E. And L-theanine will cause your body to produce its own natural GABA to keep you asleep through the night. And that's really what you want because you get the right dose of GABA that way to shut down inflammation and you don't wake up with a hangover from GABA on the other end. Whereas a lot of times people will go on a benzodiazepine, which is a chemical that binds the GABA receptor. So it's just fake GABA, our benzos. And they bind to that GABA receptor so tightly that they get a hangover the next morning, they can't wake up, right? So they take Lunestra and they're like, oh my God, I need seven cups of coffee just to get me out of bed. Oh, wow. Too much GABA. Yeah. Um, so with the teas yes is this black tea is this herbal teas is certain types of is this all teas um, so usually you're talking about a black tea or a green tea for l-theanine okay and i would get a decaffeinated one so you aren't undoing the gaba effect but even with herbal teas chamomile stimulates the production of gaba so a chamomile tea is totally fine Perfect. I think I drink all types of tea except chamomile. Except I'll chamomile. get into that. <laughs> there you go. With the sleep, we need to make sure, <clears throat> excuse me, that we are getting, we are sleeping right through the night so that our microbiome can um, reset. Reset. Yeah. Okay. And our immune system can reset. Yep. Yeah. And so, what? Let's take it back to the the midnight snacker. Mm -hmm. What if? what if they are getting up like because they can't sleep i mean I, that's not me personally so i don't really understand how you could get out of your warm cozy bed walk <laughs> go to the fridge lights yeah. in the eyes and then eat something but for those who who do what what yeah. could you suggest to them besides yeah, the tea so, so feed your microbiome before you go to bed and i would do that with plain yogurt maybe drizzle a little bit of honey on it, but feed your microbiome before you go to bed. Because a lot of times those people, my husband is one of these people and he's like, but I'm hungry. I have to get up and eat because I'm hungry. <laughs> okay. Well feed your microbiome before you go to bed and stop eating at eight and then don't eat or nine or whatever it is. And then don't eat again in the middle of the night, drink water. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you're hungry, drink some water and then go back mm. to sleep. I read about this really interesting thing. I haven't tried it yet, but maybe it works. And maybe one of your listeners will want to try. They said that if you make a mix, that it'll put you back to sleep. I'm That's so sorry. It, it completely paused when you said, if you just, and then <laughs> there was nothing. I'm like, Let what do we do? Let me do it again. <laughs> Let's do it again. If you take a mixture of four parts salt and one part sugar. Yeah. Mix it together and then take a dab of it and put it under your tongue. It's supposed to put you back to sleep. Oh. 
all right. I've never tried it myself, but maybe one of your <laughs> listeners will try it and yeah. tell us that, yeah, that works really well. Or they'll say, hey, you're full of it. It doesn't work at all. <laughs> exactly. Didn't help me. No, that's yes. awesome. We'll, we'll definitely uh, put that out there. Um, so is waking up, you said it's the, the GABA. Mm-hmm. But is it also, you also said people could be waking up hungry. So is it that we're not eating enough before bed or? It, it is usually more that you're not even eating enough protein. Pro- ah, okay. It has to do with the amount of protein. Yeah. If you don't have enough protein to digest, then it triggers our hunger hormones. And we see that, you see that after lunch a lot too, right? The people who get the afternoon sleepiness, they didn't get enough protein at lunch. And then that two o'clock hits and you're like, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Heather, this has been so sensational. I could sit here for another five hours asking you questions, but (laughs) (laughs) that's not fair on you. But you do have... Do you have resources that people could check out? Yeah. Yeah. You can always go to my website, which is just heatherswiki.com. And there's some blogs there. There's a link to some of the podcasts I've done and, um, and where I'm speaking, which conferences I'm speaking at. I also have an Instagram, um, which is just at H Zwicky. And I know my name is a little odd, um, but think of it this way. My students like to call me Zwikipedia. And that's an easy way to remember it. That's it's brilliant. Wiki. Yeah, yeah. I am a little bit of an encyclopedia. So <laughs> you, you are. Go. And it's been so wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. I'd like to end this with something that um, listeners can take away and action straight away. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but let's go there anyway. What is something easy for listeners to adopt right now to have a positive impact on their microbiome? Um, to be different, I would say okay. be kind to each other. Oh, nice. It turns out that a smile, that like you sharing a smile with someone else triggers the production of a hormone called oxytocin, and that is good for your microbiome. So when we wore masks for two years and nobody got to smile at each other, we were suffering. And now that we can smile at each other, smile at that person as they're running by. Oh, I love that so much. (laughs) Heather, you're amazing. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. You're welcome. It was great to be here. That was Dr. Heather's wiki. How good was that smile? I mean, that's that's a pretty beautiful message along with all the other messages in there. I mean, there was so much, right? So lots to take away from this. And I just want to point out with her comments around sunscreen, we are in no way saying stop wear, wearing sunscreen. That's not what we're saying. We're just, this information is to help you become aware of the things that can contribute to um, the microbiome and, and how it impacts that. So not at all saying don't wear it, but here is the information. Please, if you're in Australia, the sun is really nasty. So make sure you do wear sunscreen or wear protective clothing and, and protect protect yourself from the sun because it is very necessary here and everywhere where there's a sun. So everywhere. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning into this show today. I appreciate you and you choosing this show to listen to and, and giving us your time. So thank you. If you really enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, leave a review because that really helps this podcast get to more people who need to hear this message. And I think this one specifically today is really something that every single human should know about. So would appreciate the shares and love. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Have the best day, week, month and year. And here's to a world of bodies built better. 